So, I'd like to start out with a little brief exercise, which will kind of set up tonight's talk. Um, I'd like you to think of a small, minor, frustrating event that happened to you recently. You live in New York. It can't be too difficult. <laughs> if you can't think of an irritating, uh, frustrating event, you're in denial. <laughs> so think of some irritating, it could be at work, uh, commuting, uh, you know, it could be the fuck that it's fr fucking freezing, but try to go a little deeper than that. I mean, that's the easy way out if you don't really want to risk being vulnerable and talking. So try to keep it into one sentence, because we don't want it to take too long. I want you to just think of one single sentence my ex-partner left an irritating message. I can't stand a co-worker. My roommate is a pain in the neck. I'm frustrated with my job. These are good examples, right? So, uh, think of an example. And then turn towards somebody you don't know. <laughs> introduce yourself and give them that one sentence. to vent your one sentence, somebody either wasn't following the rules or you constructed a very, very long sentence. <laughs> Lots of uh, long sentences. So, uh, yeah. all right, so human beings, we are all born with one uh, underlying agenda, and that is, of course, to survive, and the way human beings do that is by establishing secure connection with other human beings. That's the way human beings have become the dominant species in the planet. That's the reason why the human brain is so evolved. Don't believe me? Read the work of Robin Dunbar, a great evolutionary scientist, and uh, his, all of his works go into how the human brain got to be this size and why it's so complex and basically the entire left hemisphere which controls all of our ideas and language and uh, concepts but your right hemisphere is just there controlling your emotions and monitoring how securely connected you feel with the people around you that's what your emotions are they are nonverbal expressions of how secure you feel 
in relationship with other people. Uh, all of the negative affect in your, our lives are caused by um, times when we feel rejected, abandoned, uh, cast out from the tribe, uh, unloved, and so emotions are a um, basically a uh, series of messages and cues largely sent even unconsciously that we are constantly sending and reading from others and the thing that creates the greatest sense of emotional security, balance, stability in our lives is when we signal emotions, somebody receives them and uh, basically lets us know that they get it. How do they do that? Well, there's three ways. Attunement. When uh, you are upset, you tell me what's happening, and I keep my glance on you, and I let you know that you're important to me. When children are born, the first thing that they do when they are beginning to express nonverbal emotional cues with their caretakers is seek to lock in the visual glance of their caretakers. So attunement is the very foundation of feeling secure in the world with others. Uh, the second thing you look for is sympathy, that somebody understands what you're saying, gets it, that they're not rejecting or judging, but that they are in some way um, understand what you're conveying. And the third thing that they need to do uh, for you to feel really secure is empathize. And that means, uh, in the language of uh, Kohat and other people, empathize means mirror. Send some kind of emotional cue back by their expression, their tone of voice, their body language, that if you're upset, they understand it. Not just sympathize, get the fact but they're feeling some bond, some emotional activation as well. So when children grow up with parents who can read their emotions, tolerate their emotions, mirror their emotions, they uh, grow up to be people generally who feel uh, confident that their needs will be met in the world with other people. They go into a room and they believe, wow, there's a really good chance that uh, these people might like me. <laughs> they go into a relationship with a willingness to be vulnerable and open. They uh, feel that they will find their needs met in the world by their own actions rather than requiring on luck or dodgy, unskillful actions to get their needs met. So that's what happens in secure uh, relationships. Um, if we experience uh, disruptions, constant unreliable connections with our caretakers or subsequent abandonments in life, we develop what could be called defense strategies to get our needs met and to protect us from being abandoned again in the future. Again, what we most look for in the world, because that's the way humans survive and get their survival advantage, is to be securely connected with other people by feeling that we're safe to express our emotions. Our emotions tell other people how we're doing, 
what's our state of being. If you're sick, you emotionally cue it. If you're frightened, you emotionally send that. If you're worried, anxious, you will signal it to other people. And so um, you are constantly sending messages and uh, hoping that other people will receive them. It's often done on an unconscious basis. So what happens, though, if uh, you experience yourself being um, unmirrored, uh, your parents or significant others pull away their attunement to you, if somebody doesn't sympathize with your suffering, if you're a child and you are bullied and your parents don't care, if your older brother is beating you up and you don't get sympathy, if you go through uh, a, an initial romantic in, encounter and somebody ridicules you or shames you. Well, what happens is people develop defense mechanisms to help them uh, feel safer. We want security in our relationships. So there's basically three kinds of uh, results that happen when people don't get uh, the kind of security that they need. The first is known as dismissive. A dismissive person is someone who, even though they've been abandoned or they grew up in a, a kind of difficult environment, they still hold a, a positive sense of self but unsurprisingly, they hold a very negative sense of other people. And uh, these people believe that they deserve love, that they can give love. It's always the other person that's fucking up. Uh, they are generally very capable of luring people in, very good at uh, having... Uh, their, they can ha be physically intimate very quickly. They have no problem with... Uh, of jumping into bed, as it were, but when it comes time to the second part of being open with how they feel, expressing their emotions, they're like, why? <laughs> why would you want me to do that? Of course, the motivation is, is that at some point in their life, uh, a primary caretaker or somebody who's very important to them uh, created a set of conditions where they basically decided that empathy wasn't available in the world or that empathy isn't worth it because they're just not getting that kind of secure connection. So they want people to be around but at a distance, at an emotional distance. Um, these people often set a lot of ground rules to keep people at bay. Um, they will not return phone calls or messages regularly. They are quick to dismiss other people as unrealistic in their demands. They feel uh, put upon. And in general, um, they are very independent. Very independent. They don't mind swooping in for some nice, hot, steamy sex and then swooping back out. So... Maybe you've never met this character, but I suspect you have. Um, these are people that really need to develop uh, forgiveness and empathy for the caretaker that disappointed them. If, for example, uh, it's a man 
he needs to work on a lot of empathy and forgiveness, often for his mother or for another caretaking figure, so that he can move into relationships and be vulnerable and intimate. Same thing with a woman, just the flip the, the perspective. Now, the second type is preoccupied. A preoccupied person goes from this uh, insecure uh, experience in childhood feeling very low about themselves, but still believes there are people out there that can rescue them, can make it all work out. And uh, so these have uh, a tendency to jump into relationships, and they will also be very willing to have sex, but really the motivation is to be, to have intimacy. Unlike the dismissive who doesn't want the intimacy, who's scared or is a, doesn't want to go back into a vulnerable situation with uh, kind of um, making a commitment, the preoccupied person wants a commitment, wants intimacy, and is willing to trade just about anything to get it. So they'll trade sex for attention, they'll uh, be very weak with any boundaries or rules. They will often express a false self to other people to get any kind of attachment. They've been, um, they're prone to rumination. So when they get into a relationship, they will think an awful lot about it. Somebody who's uh, dismissive will not think about it. So long as they get their needs met uh, sexually, having somebody constantly texting them, they won't really think about the relationship. So the person who's preoccupied tends to ruminate a lot, get caught up, uh, and they really hope that a relationship will fix and solve them. And um, this person really needs to work on being assertive, believing that they're worthy, uh, developing a sense of life outside of the relationship, so that they will not hope that, uh, generally these are people that even though they can have successful careers, they will feel low about themselves because they're constantly struggling in a romantic relationship or uh, establishing a secure, close friendship. So finally, uh, the last, uh, and in many ways, the um, for, for me, the case that always uh, melts my heart when I work with people is the fearful avoidant. Fearful avoidant person is somebody who doesn't feel good about themselves nor particularly anybody else. <laughs> These are people who feel they're undeserving of love, and they don't really have high expectations of anybody else either. They will basically, uh, unlike the preoccupied person, they'll settle for just about anybody, no matter how little attention they get, because they don't really believe that they're going to get very much from the world. When something goes wrong in the relationship, they will blame the, uh, themselves. The preoccupied person, interestingly enough, will blame the both themselves and the other, they'll ruminate constantly. The fearful avoidant will just throw up their hands and just say, see, I showed you I didn't deserve any better. And they will uh, often play a very, very passive uh, role, extremely passive role. Interestingly enough, um, somebody who's preoccupied will jump into a relationship, want intimacy, and when they don't get it, eventually they'll, they'll get frustrated and break off the relationship. 
the dismissive person will not. You'd think that the dismissive independent person would be the one who would constantly be breaking up, but actually, I've worked with quite a number of them, and they always get their needs met. They meet somebody, they're very good at, you know, uh, having sex, uh, getting people interested in them, and then they don't bother to break up because they don't really have any needs that aren't being met. They've gotten rid of all their needs because of their... Uh, the pain of their being abandoned early on. So clearly the fearful avoidant person really needs to work on developing self-esteem and independence, a sense that they deserve happiness and can get it for themselves in the world. Now all of these three, um, even if you don't recognize yourself in any of them, maybe sometimes you've felt these energies in one relationship or another, a friendship or another, all of our uh, negative uh, emotional instability comes from a fear of opening up because we've experienced some wounding in our past. We don't wind up with these things simply because it's fun to clam up and shut down emotionally. There, even if you can't remember it, trust me, a lot of uh, human experience happens before narrative memory is installed in the brain. You, pretty much the bulk of your first three years of life happen before your hippocampus is up and running, so you won't remember it. Um, the key then is how do we go about developing courage, openness, vulnerability, in relationships when we've been hurt and when we've established defensive mechanisms that uh, intrude and keep other people at bay or when we've just come to expect mistreatment. How do we develop the, uh, the, the tools, the practices to uh, get our needs met but in a way that won't re-traumatize ourselves. If people get fed up with their loneliness, their isolation, their lack of deep connection with other people, and then they jump too quickly in to intimate relationships, very often the result is re-traumatization, re-wounding, and it just justifies their defense mechanisms. They once again rely on uh, false selves, which are not being open and honest, just saying what other people want to say, or fearful avoidance, where they basically shut down and remove themselves from relationships. And I understand all of these strategies, but the goal is for us to open to spiritual growth. It's interesting that in all of the Buddha's teachings to the householders, the lay practitioners, the Sigalavada, etc., the Buddha spends all of his time teaching people how to make smart choices in relationships. He talks a little bit about how to spend your money. <laughs> But mostly, he's most concerned with how do you pick the people in your life and how do you go about 
developing those relationships in a safe way. In one memorable list in the numbered discourses, he goes through the types of people you, we should be choosing. And the one thing he always talks about is uh, people who are reliable, people who we can bring our problems to, our difficult emotions to, our suffering to, and will not judge, try to fix, solve, but will basically, as he say, listen, be present with us. So I like to think of the Buddha in many ways as a, a person who was uh, not only presenting a path to enlightenment for those who are interested, but for those of us who are trying to heal our wounds, trying to heal our suffering. So a couple of tools I'd like to present. Feel free to use them or not, consider them or not. Uh, I do a lot of work with other people, and so over the years I've, I've gotten to see some tools which help people move from uh, tendencies that keep other people constantly at bay and uh, removed to strategies that help us gradually open up and develop a greater sense of um, uh, a sense of confidence. Uh, the first is incremental revealing. So protecting ourselves doesn't mean we need to, nor should we, dismiss all others completely. It doesn't mean protecting ourselves, it's a really dire outcome if we shut down the possibility of being open and vulnerable and expressing our sadness, our difficult emotions with others. But at the same time, as I mentioned, if we do it too quickly or haphazardly or we just follow our craving for connection, we will often re-traumatize ourselves and open ourselves to woundings again. So we need to, in fact, be conscious about how we go about developing new friends, how we move into new relationships. So if we've experienced some... Uh, abandonment, rejection, shame, that we can go into it in a way that is very incremental so we can develop, once again, a sense of safety. Because again, that's what we're seeking, safety and security. So the first, there are a bunch of stages that we move through from not knowing somebody to becoming completely in a fully intimate relationship. What are those stages? Well, the first stage is the time when we just tell people what's going on in our life. Hey, I went to work today, and it kind of, you know, uh, this happened, and that happened. That's the lowest, just keeping people in the news. And in the Robin Dunbar's listing of, of the people in our lives, he calls those D people, people that are like peers, colleagues, but you don't particularly want to get to know them any more than, how's it going, Joe? Well, it's going fine, Sally. <laughs> Here we are at the water cooler, and yeah, I went to see the marathon the other day. Oh, really? Was that fun? Yes, it was a long time. So, that's, that's it. That's it. That's all you're doing. You're just expressing what happened. Very little vulnerability. Uh, but there is a sense of connection being made, so it has some value, even though very minimal. minimal. Uh, 
just being seen to a certain degree has an emotional value. Now the second is what I moved you all into today with a complete stranger. I jumped over that step and I moved you into the stage where we are willing to share a mundane frustration with another human being. <coughs> that is the step where you're beginning to assess whether somebody is worth the risk of being vulnerable with. It's very important that you jump from step one to step two, not from one to step four. Why? Because if you do, you will most likely, one, startle the person. Why is this person <laughs> being so intimate with me when we haven't even talked about the minor frustrations of our lives? So you want to move from one to two. You want to be, yes, conscious about it. I know it sounds a little calculated, but... Believe me, in my experience, it's when we follow our gut with other people and we're like, oh, he seemed like a nice person. I didn't know he was a sociopath until I <laughs> slept together that the uh, suffering happens. So you might want to uh, consider these. So step three, we move from expressing mundane events that are frustrating to expressing emotions that are... Uh, the kind of emotions that people don't generally express with people unless they've developed some trust. Which is, oh, I'm experiencing some fear, anxiety, some worry about uh, a trip that's coming up, I'm bored at my job, I'm uh, worried about uh, paying taxes or a bill I have to pay, this kind of stuff. The stuff that you don't share with other people unless you've gotten the sense that they can um, hold a difficult emotion without doing some of the signs that they are not uh, capable of. Uh, so what are the things we need to see again? We need to see attunement, see that they're taking us in. We need to see sympathy, that they get it. Not that they what? You're scared of traveling? Oh, you did. I love to travel. <laughs> you know, uh, you're scared of moving in with your new boyfriend? I don't get that. I, mean, I'm a, I would be psyched. You know, so that's not a good sign. Immediately you take that person back to stage one. You know, <laughs> you're just push it, pulling them back to uh, just sharing daily news with that person. Um, uh, so you're really, and then three is you're looking for a sense of empathy, somebody who, who not only intellectually gets it, but is willing to show you a little bit of, of some sign that they understand, a nonverbal cue, a, a slight sadness in the expression, a, a tenderness in the voice, a slight touch, anything that lets you know that they are emotionally uh, getting it. So if you see that constantly enough, once is not enough. <laughs> if you get to a place where you see that they are uh, willing to um, uh, constantly uh, hear difficult emotions, then you move to the fourth and the biggest step, which makes that person a B person uh, or even an A person in your life. A person you see every day and you have sex with or you hope they'll take care of you uh, in the future. B person, close, deep friend, is that you're willing to share a painful experience or emotion that really causes some fear to disclose it. 
So it's not just an unpopular emotion, but something that you really, really have spent a lot of time in your life struggling with, something that you don't generally, under any circumstances, reveal. And this is like a real, of course, test. And you don't want to go from sharing daily news to sharing your deepest fears. Why do people do that, though? Two reasons. Sex and drugs. <laughs> Rock and roll won't do that, but sex and drugs will. You get drunk, you take cocaine, or you jump into bed and you feel that flood of uh, both endorphins and oxytocin, and sometimes if we are uh, preoccupied personality types, we might spill all the beans, and then my mother did this, you know, and, and so on. So we really want to be, uh, um, if we do this in stages, we will not, one, re-traumatize ourselves. If, so, if you get to stage three where you're sharing a difficult emotion and the person starts, instead of attuning, they start trying to fix and solve, tell you what to do, oh, if I don't like my job, I just fucking quit. Fuck that. I don't know why you put up with that shit. Just fucking quit your job. What are you complaining about? Just fucking quit your job. That's what I would do. I would go right in there and I would quit. You hear that? You're like, okay, thank you very much. We're taking you from three back down to one. <laughs> You're clearly not ready to say it free for any sustained basis, much less move into the deep fears, the woundings. So, um... And yet, at the same thing, this is when people often get wounded, their tendency is often to want to throw in the towel. The reason why I like to do this is because instead of just saying, well, I want to be with this person or have some relationship with this person, but every time I get vulnerable, they uh, tell me what to do or they stop their attunement and they go away, what I really recommend is just taking them down to a safer level of vulnerability. This way you don't have to fall into the trap of the black and white strategy of keeping them in your life, being vulnerable, or be constantly throwing in the towel on people, but you take it down. And you can even let people know that you're doing it. You know, the other day when I came to you and I talked to you about the fact that I'm feeling um, worried about my relationship and you just immediately jumped into telling me what to do that wasn't, again, what my, my needs are. And I, I, I need to see that you're capable of hearing and not giving me directives before I'm going to share again something that's difficult. We can actually express this to other people so that they know that they're not uh, meeting our needs. I believe that the strategy of dumping and running when somebody lets us down, or B, keeping them, trying to get orange juice from the hardware store again and again and again. <laughs> why can't I tell you the fact that I'm sad and every time you try to change my sadness, why can't you just, that doesn't work. Both strategies don't work. So, uh, changing the amount of contact and the degrees of contact are successful strategies. The next, and I'm sure you know this by now, but boundaries are essential. Boundaries are the uh, stages of how 
fast we're willing to move into a relationship, what we're willing to do, how quickly. Um, the keys with boundaries are never to justify them. A boundary is not a, uh, it's not like a law that's debated. It's not a, a boundary is something that is for you to uh, know, and it's also for you to maintain. Now, lots of people say, these people break my boundaries. Boundaries are actually your knowledge of how fast, how open, how much you can trust and move into a relationship, how quickly, and you have to maintain it. You have to maintain it. You don't have to justify it, but you need to maintain it. When somebody is pushing or asking you to do something that you know from experience is unsafe, you simply say, no, that doesn't make me feel safe. You don't need to explain it, but you need to make sure that you know what they are and be willing to uphold it. People who tend to be uh, of the preoccupied type or the fearful avoidant tend to be willing to abandon their boundaries just to get some connection or intimacy with others. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. In the long time, what will happen is the person will let you down, you'll be re-wounded, and then you'll either be more desperate or you'll uh, blame yourself. You won't see that what let you down is the fact that you didn't know what your secure boundaries are. When we have good boundaries, we don't have to worry as much in being going into relationships with others because we know we will not put ourselves into situations that will likely trigger us. For instance, some people are easily triggered by going away with somebody for the first time or by going over to their apartment for the first time or certain levels of trust. So know what those are and don't break them. Third is uh, knowing how to develop clarity during conflict. This is really where, where mindfulness spiritual practice really will help. Um, very often people who have defense strategies in their life, who have been hurt, wounded uh, in life, will find any um, conflict unbearable. It will be the sign that something's deeply wrong, and they will uh, use conflict uh, as a sense to either, one, assume that the relationship is heading immediately in the wrong direction, or they will assume that there's something wrong with the other person. They will assume that there's something wrong with them. And, of course, when we're in conflict, we're most likely to fall into our greatest defense mechanisms which are shutting down, fighting, yelling, uh, not listening, uh, avoidance, avoiding the person, um, minimizing, being willing to say, oh, the fact that you called me an asshole wasn't that really that harmful. So we'll, we have strategies that basically will deploy when we're in a conflict. Uh, some of the strategies that um, go back 2,500 years to the Buddhist great teachings that really work is one, uh, learning how to deactivate in a conflict. 
even though we like to feel or believe that our outrage is our greatest friend in a conflict, it's actually not. Clarity is your greatest friend in a conflict. Um, which means knowing how to find the area in the body that's tight, release it, knowing how to find the out-breath, extend it, knowing how to take a pause and walk away. The most devastating thing you can do in a conflict when somebody has said something wounding is to not respond and to walk away. Because you've left their last statement hanging in the room like turds floating in a toilet bowl <laughs> that they cannot flush away. And there is those last words just hanging there surrounding them. And if they don't if they don't feel shitty, then you're probably in a relationship with a sociopath. Uh, I grew up with a very drunk, kind of invasive father, and my sister, to her endless credit, developed the remarkable skill of giving people the look of what an asshole, but not saying anything. She would just sit there, <laughs> and then you'd see her just allowing the words and the sense of, she wouldn't even roll her eyebrows, she would, or she'd just look. And I never saw that look again until I went to Thailand. And the Thai people know how to treat tourists with that luck of, you know, you come with you. Where's my hotel room? Where's my... And they just smile, but they look at you, and they just let the anxiety and the, the insanity um, just linger in the air. <laughs> So the ability to stay calm, to not react, to get to a place where you can, you can once again deactivate the body, get to a place where you're breathing calmly, you don't feel the stomach tight or the shoulders up around your ears or your jaw locked, check the body. When the body is released and the breath is long, then go back and respond. The chances are... If you do need to make a cutting retort, it will be far more effective than anyway. <laughs> In my experience, um, those times when I've later on at night after somebody's been a complete twat and I have my mind rehearsing, the, the, the rejoinders that I'm never satisfied are the ones that come out reactively. The ones that are always the, the responses that I feel the most satisfied are the ones where I simply walked away gathered my sense of clarity and then returned and just basically expressed my uh, experience from a different place. At the very least, um, this is an important skill. There is no such thing as a vulnerable relationship without conflict at times. There is no such thing. You might think that you've heard married couples who report that they've never been uh, ever in a fight. I tend to think that those people are either in denial or just um, really, really uh, the exceptions to the rule. In my experience, all meaningful relationships will have times when people are not being heard, not getting their needs met, or feeling disappointed. And it's the way that we relate to this, not as a sign necessarily that 
everything's in danger, but more these are the signs when we need to most restore some kind of clarity. The best way to restore clarity, by the way, is to walk away, find a phone, and call up somebody. Human beings emotionally regulate each other. So if you are in that situation where you feel aghast, you can't believe what somebody's just done, you feel completely disappointed, hoping you can regulate yourself, you might be able to, but your strongest solution will always be in the voice of a supportive friend. So gradual incremental revealing, knowing your boundaries, explaining them, sticking to them, not justifying them, and developing skills to deactivate in conflict, to me, are the ways that we can move into relationships without rewounding ourselves and at the same time learning how to develop a sense of confidence and courage to move forward in life. Hope there was something worthwhile there to ponder.